could do. And how can God do anything? Well, these are great questions that we have. The psalmist wrote this. This is David. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beast of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Praise the Lord. David uh, wrote this toward the end of his life as he was uh, getting ready to go to paradise himself. He had had to consider all the blessings of God, that God had taken care of him all of his life. David didn't have it easy, you know, either. I mean, he faced the giant, Goliath. He, He had to kill a bear and he had to kill a lion when he was watching the sheep and And so he didn't have it easy. And then when he was anointed king, Saul, who was his predecessor, tried to kill him. And he had to be on the run for about 10 years. And then his own son, after he became king, his own son, Absalom, rebelled against him. My goodness, he had a rough time. He wasn't perfect. He failed. But, you know, God brought him through that. And after all of that, he says, God... Who are we that you would be mindful of us as we are walking here on this earth? God, you're such a great God. And when you go outside tonight, look up at the heavens and you'll see the beginnings of the stars appearing and and how they just go in their order and everything comes around. Uh, The stars in the sky keep their pace and the sun and the moon come up and go down and day after day. Because God is in charge. God's in control. And He's a great God. And we can trust Him with our lives. There is no greater one that we can trust. You know, it's a crazy thing. Nietzsche, who was a a philosopher in the 1800s, said this. He's the one who said God is dead. But then, after 55 short years in 1900... He died, and God said, Nietzsche is dead. (laughs) But I'm still here, God said. (laughs) You know, what what is man thinking when, when they come to those kinds of conclusions? And, you know, we live in troublesome times, but, you know, the enemy is always trying to fight against God and always trying to bring the message of God and the freedom of God that he brings down. But we just want to proclaim that message that God is God and that he considers man. He looks at man and he says, I love mankind. And he looks at you tonight, whether you're sitting here or whether you're watching by Facebook or YouTube, and God says, I love you. And you might even say, well, I don't think I'm very lovely. I think I'm in the midst of troubles and trials. He still loves you. There's 
nothing that you have done that would make him not love you because he really does love you and he cares for you. David had lived in the shadow of the faithfulness of God in his life. And as you reflect back on your life, you can realize the faithfulness of God, that he was always there, that he was never too early, never too late. He was always right on time. He was. You know, it's, it's crazy. As you drive, you know, that you, you see many things that could happen. I know, uh, I said particularly back when I was running, driving for Orkin back in the uh, 1990s, I said that the angels had to work overtime because I know there were many times I was traveling through those snaky roads north of 60 Highway uh, going to visit customers up there, and I was tired. I'd go be fighting it and fighting it, but God's angels were watching over me and protecting me. And, you know, there were other times when, uh, you know, it was, wasn't even my fault. I wasn't going to sleep. I was driving back from being a youth pastor up in uh, Michigan, driving back to college, and on a two-lane or four-lane highway, uh, raining, and the highway had these side lips on them, you know how they used to be here north of 67, and I went to pass a truck, and he wouldn't give me any room, and I tried, had to get over, and when I did, my tires caught that lip, and I went into the median, and facing traffic, and I turned it, and it got back, <laughs> and praise God, I didn't flip it, praise God, I didn't do any damage to the car, it just shook me up a little bit. But God's hand of protection was on me. Who is man that you are mindful of him, O Lord? Or the son of man that you visit him? God was there. And I've driven through that highway, 75, I think, no, not 75, the one that goes north of Lansing there. But anyway, I've driven over that highway many times. And you know, there's only one spot where there's that, where there's that much median. The rest of the spots, the highways north and south are close together. And it, God had his hand on that situation all the while. And again, you reflect back on your life. And I know Randy's had some recent times when God's had his hand on his life. But others have too. And God is with you. He will never leave you and never forsake you. What am I or who am I? that the God of the universe would look down and be mindful of me. There used to be a great song that was sung, How big is God? How big and vast his universe? To tell the half, this tongue could only start. He's big enough to rule the mighty universe, yet small enough to live within my heart. God is a great God. Let's go on to the book of Isaiah Chapter 63, verses 15 and 17. Look down from heaven and see from your habitation, Isaiah is talking to God, holy and glorious, where are your zeal and your strength, the yearning of your heart and your mercies toward me? Are they restrained? Do you sometimes feel like that God 
is can't, not hearing you? You know, I, I think that there are times we go through where we think, God, where are you? You know, Stephanie and I were sitting uh, uh, working at our booth at, at the flea market yesterday, and I was just sitting there taking a break, and I just said, Lord, would you just touch us right now? And he did. And I heard him, you know what I heard him say? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Sometimes he's just waiting for us to ask him to touch us, to ministering to us. Wow. So his mercies toward me, they're there. It may seem like that we can't feel them all the time, but they are there. He cares and he ministers. Doubtless, you are our father. Though Abraham was ignorant of us, and Israel does not acknowledge us, you, O Lord, are our, re our Father, our Redeemer from everlasting is your name. You know, who would have, is, Abraham would, didn't even have in his mind that people, that there was even be a United States, or that there would be even be a Christian family fellowship. That's what this passage is saying. Abraham was ignorant of us. He didn't know about us, but yet, he knew about God, and he knew that God could be the father of us as well, our father. He could be our father, which art in heaven. His name is holy, and he can be a father to the fatherless. He really can. He's our redeemer from everlasting. Oh, Lord, why have you made us stray from your ways and hardened our heart from your fears? Return for your servant's sake the tribes of your inheritance. The Amplified Bible puts it this way. O Lord, why have you made us able to err from your ways and hardened our hearts to be reverent to reverential fear of you? Sometimes we, like we wish, God, I, I just wish that you would take me and just Make me do your will. God, make me do the right thing. And God doesn't do that. He says, you're human beings. You're not angels. You have to choose me. That's why he created us, so that we can choose him, not just one time, but every day. We choose him. We choose to follow him. We choose to listen to him. Oh, Lord, why have you made us able to err, Isaiah wrote. Wow. Back in verse 9, he says this. I've got to turn my Bible back one page. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. God, you feel our affliction? God, you feel it when we're hurting? God, you feel it when we're disappointed? He feels it. In all their affliction, he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. You know, there's no mention of the angel of his presence in the New Testament. Did you know that? Look it up. But many times in the Old Testament, you'll find the angel of his presence. You know who I think that is? Jesus, making surprise appearances in the Old Testament 
the second member of the Trinity, the Son of God, coming down and saving people, appearing for them. And he cares about us even today, that he would do that. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. And he bore them and carried them all the days of old. I love that picture Pastor Kevin has in his office about the man hanging by a rope that is frayed and about to be falling apart. And it also there's a, a hand that we know is the master's hand. And he's reaching out there ready to grab that one before he falls. That's what the Lord does. Amen. He feels all of our pain and affliction. But he has sent the angel of his presence, Jesus Christ, to be with us. And you know what Jesus said this? He said this. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Just in case you didn't get that part. He says, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. I am weak, but he is strong. Amen. That's a, that old, old gospel hymn. Jesus, keep me from all wrong. I'll be satisfied as long as I walk. Let me walk close to you. And he will help us to do that. All right, let's go on to Genesis chapter 3. We're going somewhere with this thing here. Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. Adam and Eve had sinned. And it says, also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. When Adam and Eve sinned, they sewed fig leaves together because, for clothing because they were ashamed. They knew they had sinned. They saw their nakedness and they were ashamed. But God made tunics of skins. Where did he get those? didn't just manufacture them and you know say that they would exist i think he killed animals he made the first sacrifice of blood killed those animals so that adam and eve could be covered and when god did that he set the tone for the whole book because you see, sin has to be paid for. And the salvation from sin cannot be done by works. The scripture is very clear about that. It is only by the blood. In the Old Testament, they sacrificed animals until Jesus came and he became the ultimate sacrifice. But I get ahead of myself. Why did God make a skin clothing for Adam and Eve? Because God wanted to have relationship with man. He always did. God could have, when Adam and Eve sinned, God could have said, 
I am going to wipe them off the face of the earth and just start over. But he didn't. God could have said of any of us, I'll just wipe you off the face of the earth and I'll start over in your family or your life. He could have done that. But he didn't. Peter wrote it like this. He said, God is long-suffering to usward. And I'm quoting the King James because that's how I memorized it. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's why God is so long-suffering with us. God loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Oh, how he loves you. Moving on through history, after the flood, there was a man by the name of Abraham. And in Genesis 15, God made a promise to Abraham. Genesis 15, God had talked to Abraham about making him a nation and, and that he would have a son. At this point, he had not had a son. Isaac had not been born. But yet God had promised him that there would be a son. And here's what it says. Then he, God, brought Abraham outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And God said to him, So shall your descendants be. Can you imagine Abraham's thoughts at that time? Uh, yeah, uh, yes, God, and I, I don't have a son yet. <laughs> What we see as an impossible situation is not impossible with God. It is very possible. God can do it, and he will do it. All right, let's go on. And he, Abraham, believed in the Lord, and he, God, counted it to him for righteousness. Then he said to him, I am the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's Jehovah who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. And Abraham said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? So God said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then Abraham brought these, all these things to him and cut them in two down the middle and placed each piece opposite the other but he did not cut the birds in two. And here we have another blood sacrifice. The blood covenant in Abraham's day was a very common thing. It was something that, that people did to bind themselves together. It was a covenant between a greater party and a weaker party. Typically, it wasn't a, usually a covenant between equals. It was a covenant between someone who was well and someone who was sick. It bound them together in a relationship that was stronger than family. And it also required, if one did something, the other one had to reciprocate in the same way. The weak gave his weakness the strong gave his strength. The sick gave his sickness. The well gave his healing. 
the lesser gave his son Isaac. Abraham gave his son Isaac. The greater God, then follow it, was required to give his son Jesus. God had a plan. God had a plan. Let's go back to Abraham here with this flood covenant. He's got these animals laid out. And here's the, the calf and the sheep. What else has he got? A goat, a turtle dove, and a pigeon. I mean, as long as from here all the way down to here, and maybe even longer. And if you read the account, it says that God didn't appear. Because, you see, the parties had to walk through the blood from one end to the other to shake hands and make this blood covenant work. Establish it. God didn't show up. And it got to be late. And it got to be dark. And God still hadn't showed up. But you know what did show up? The vultures. That's what the scripture said. The vultures showed up. I can see Abraham. He's down at one end. He's very tired. He's waited all day for God to show up. Because God had already talked to him and told him what to do. And down at the other end, there's the vultures coming along trying to pick the meat off the bones of the sacrifice. And so Abraham starts sloshing through the blood to go down to the other end to chase the birds away. And he reaches the other end just barely stretching himself, chasing the birds away, and he slips in the blood and he falls face first, covered with blood from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. He rests for a minute, and then at the other end, the vultures appear again. And so he runs down to the other end to chase the vultures away. And he slips backwards and he falls into the blood backwards. And now he's covered from the top of his head to the back of his feet in blood. Wow. You see, the blood covenant requires that we be covered in the blood. Wow. Man. Genesis 15, verses 17 through 18. It says this. It came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. That burning torch was the presence of Almighty God that came through there and established the covenant with Abraham. And it was established. Now remember I said that if one gave their son, the other was required to give their son. And so we fast forward to Genesis 22. Isaac had been born. He was about 25 years old by this time, by the way. And he was the son of promise. Ishmael had been Moses, Abraham's mistake, excuse me, Abraham's mistake because he had had this one time, 
one night with Hagar, and she had birthed an Ishmael. And so he was still his son. He wished well for him, but he wasn't the son of promise. Isaac was the son of promise because he was born to Sarah and Abraham. It's never too late, ladies. Sarah was 90 years old. Abraham was 100, like Thurman, Thurman who, who is that representative? Strom Thurmond. I think he was over 100 when he had a child anyway. But anyway, let's go back to the Word. It came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And Abram said, Here I am. Then God said, Take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Wow. Now, human sacrifice was very common in the Canaanite world where Abraham was sojourning. He wasn't, didn't, didn't, had not set up permanent residence at that point. He was just a, a traveler. He was in, like a nomad. And all around him, the, the Canaanites would offer their children in sacrifice to the gods of Moloch and the gods of Chemosh and other gods. And Abraham, I'm sure when he heard this word, he said, God, was that you? Did you really speak that, God? Because you had promised me that Isaac would be the son of promise, and now here you're telling me to take him, but God, nevertheless, I'm going, I'm going. By the way, in the scriptures, you will see just as in John 3.16, what does it say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In the scriptures you will also see Isaac, particularly in the book of Hebrews, also called the only begotten son. <laughs> God said to Abraham, bring me your only begotten son. Go to the land of Moriah. Moriah, by the way, is in the area of Jerusalem. Right there where Jesus, near where Jesus was crucified. Okay, let's go on. And offer him there as a burnt sacrifice, a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham arose early in the morning and settled the donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he spit, split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to the young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. Did you hear the faith in Abraham's speech there? The lad and I will go and worship, and we will come back. So Abraham took the word of wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, just like Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, took the wood of his offering, the cross, and laid it on his back and carried it up to Golgotha. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. And I, but Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Look, 
the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Hmm. Isaac was 25 years old. He knew what was required if they were going to sacrifice. Listen to Abraham's response. My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Abraham spoke faith, and that faith was also ministered into Isaac, his son, as he spoke it. Some translations, maybe the one you're reading right now, says this, My son, God will provide himself. It leaves off the four. God will provide himself, the lamb. Jesus spoke about it, and he said this, Abraham delighted to see my day. He was glad. What? Because Abraham saw the lamb that was there that represented Jesus, the lamb of God. Wow. Man, this is terrific stuff. It was never God's intent for Abraham to offer Isaac up as a sacrifice. It was only that God was wanting Abraham to offer Isaac so that he would be required by the blood covenant to offer Jesus. That's wonderful. Rush Limbaugh, when, when he was alive, said this, Islam says, give me your sons to be suicide bombers. God says, I will give you my son so you can live eternally. Such a difference. You see, Allah is not the same as God. Not, 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 not. Don't let anybody tell you he is. Not the same. I won't go very, very far. Just put that out there. All right, here we go back to the notes. Safer. Galatians. Because now we come to the New Testament. You know who the Galatians people were? Galatia was a region in what, pre what is present day Turkey. They were, some of them were barbarians. Some of them, all of them were heathens. There were a few Jews that were sprinkled in there. But for the most part, they were Gentiles. And so Paul's writing to them. And in verses 7 through 9, he says this. Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. He didn't say only those who were Jews were sons of Abraham. He says only those of faith. That's you. That's me. We are sons and daughters of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand saying in you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Praise God. We are part of the blessing of God. And then go down to verse 14. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. 
we are a part of the family of God. We've been adopted into the family of God. We can stick our feet underneath the table just like the Jewish people can because we've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Hallelujah. By having faith in God like Abraham, we are justified and brought into the eternal covenant with God through Jesus Christ. Amen. Do you know what justified means, by the way? It means God has made you just as if you had never sinned. Wow. Just as if I had never sinned. Praise God. That's wonderful. Which reminds me also of that scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? Praise God. Praise God. All right. One more passage of scripture, and this is the uh, piste de resistance. Okay. Isaiah 53, talking about Jesus, the Messiah. Now it says this Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Wow. So when Jesus died on the cross, and he shed his precious blood, when he did that, he was the perfect sacrifice for the new blood covenant to take our grief, our sorrow, our transgressions, our iniquities, our uncertainties, and our illnesses, anything else that might be there. He took it all when he went to the cross shed his precious blood because who is man that you are mindful of him oh man is one who is loved by almighty God <laughs> would you stand with me now praise the Lord we love you Lord we thank you for your mercy and your grace for us we praise you, Lord, for you have made us. You've told us in your word that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And Lord, you've put within our hearts a desire to know you. And as we come to know you, you've put eternity in our hearts so that we will be with you someday. Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, we know that there are many in this audience and watching by YouTube or Facebook that may have a need in their lives, we speak the life of Jesus Christ 
according to the blood covenant that Abraham and Father God established that caused Jesus Christ to be sent to be the complete sacrifice for our sins and the complete healing for our bodies, minds, and spirits. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.